helping you live life optimally. This is Tate Talks from Radio 111. Here's functional medicine expert and host, Jason Tate. Welcome to Tate Talks. It is an honor and privilege to have you here with me. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. Today's show features a story based around what I call the gift of COVID, as well as great tips from a functional medicine doctor working in primary care here in the Coachella Valley. I'll also share my thoughts about vaccines, masks, and education through the COVID pandemic in pursuit of my goal to leave you feeling more aware, informed, and contemplative about your own health and wellness as you strive to live your best life. All right, here we are. Masks, vaccines, and education. I'm going to start with that. (laughs) This winter actually marks the second year anniversary of COVID-19. It's amazing. Two years uh, are coming up in this time in our lives that we'll remember for the rest of our lives. Um, You know, we all have an amazing perspective of this, given our stance, given our situation. And I'm, I'm just really enjoying the stories uh, coming out of this time, my own stories, as well as the stories of my students and people that I interact with. So I'm going to share some of those stories with you and what I call right now the gift of COVID. As you may well know, I am an educator. I work in a public school system. I teach high school. I'm a science teacher, but I teach biology and I teach health. Uh, and so during a year of teaching remotely, doing distance learning education, and then about, I'd say, two months of a hybrid learning model, it was, it was interesting. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Teaching to a blank screen, uh, it was one of the most challenging things that I've ever done in my life. And what I'm calling the gift of COVID, now that we're back uh, with full classrooms, of course, my students are all wearing masks. What I'm seeing and feeling and experiencing is that these students, they love school. And they didn't know that they loved school until it was taken away from them. And they missed it. They missed being with each other. They missed learning. And I, I, it's probably my favorite year. This is my 17th year in education. This is probably my favorite year teaching other than my first year because that was so much fun. This year is so unique. It's so new. It's like being a first year teacher all over again because the students, they're coming with bright, wide open eyes and ears, and they're eager to learn because they didn't realize that free public education, in a sense, could be taken away from them. And so the amount of gratitude that they're feeling towards this opportunity to learn and fill their day with knowledge and experience and hearing from experts in their fields they're finally seeing this gift that they get. And it took COVID to take that away from them, for them to realize that education's amazing and that it's important and that it's vital for their lives. So that's what I call the gift of COVID. (laughs) I like thinking positively about negative situations. And that's one of the things that I teach as well is this practice of gratitude and trying to find the positive in any situation because, you know, life's going to throw some negative things at us and it's just going to keep happening and keep happening. And it's about perspective. It's about where you're standing in this, uh, in this whole thing and, and how you feel about it, because I can't necessarily change the fact that there's a worldwide pandemic, but I can certainly change the way I feel about it. 
And that's something that's an important thing that I talk about on the show is perspective. So that will uh, keep coming up and keep recurring. So this distance learning, um, having done that and now being back in the classroom, as a teacher, as a parent myself, I have a daughter who, who started high school this year. I just want to say that we must do everything we can to keep our kids in schools and not thrust us back into a distance learning environment. I can't even imagine the academic deficit of a year and a half of distance learning education. I'm seeing it in the classroom, despite the fact that they're there and they're excited to learn, there is a deficit. Uh, there's always a deficit when it comes to summer break, right? You know, and, and those of you that have kids uh, and those of you that are listening that, that are in schools, that summer break kind of, you know, kind of sets you back just a tiny bit. This was a gigantic summer break. And we're now feeling the effect of it in the classroom. So we need to do everything we can as a society, as humans, as Americans, as, you know, whatever, to make sure that our students stay in school, that the teachers stay in school, and that we, you know, it's definitely a better learning environment. Despite the fact that we have this amazing technology and we have the ability <laughs> to teach from home and teach from, you know, distance learning, it's great and all, but nothing beats the experience of being there in the classroom. So we as a, as a population need to make sure we do what we can to make sure that that stays, that that retains, that we don't have to send our kids home again. And with that, uh, you know, there, there was a concern that people had talked about, oh, you know, I want to wear a mask all day. I teach with a mask on all day long and it's fine. <laughs> Honestly, it's okay. It's, is it ideal? Do I prefer it? No, of course not. You know, I want, I'm very expressive uh, in my personality and my facial features. And so, of course, I want my students to see that and experience that. Plus, I want to see my students' faces. But I will take this over the distance learning and not having screens on any day of the week. Any day of the week, I'll take this. I'll teach through a mask. I don't care. And of course, you know, I'm sweating in the mask. Whatever. It's fine. They're washable. <laughs> They're disposable. It's okay. It's honestly okay. So that that part of it, I want to just say, you know, we, we make, uh, you know, I, I don't know. We make, we make up for it, right? So we, you know. I do what I need to do to make sure that I'm still in the classroom, that I'm taking care of my students, that I'm taking care of myself. So, so we make exceptions. With that being said, uh, I want to, to recale a story with you. So one of the courses that I teach is medical terminology. And in medical terminology, there's a unit where we cover plagues and pandemics. And I've been teaching medical terminology for many years now. And I have to tell you, it's, it's such an interesting topic, obviously. And in the past, you know, we've covered things like the black plague and the Spanish flu and, you know, HIV and all these different plagues over time. And the, and the students, they're putting together their research projects around, you know, chosen plagues and pandemics over the course of history. And we're watching this documentary, uh, just piece of it, talking about how the bubonic plague or the black plague shifted from an infection that was caused from the bite of fleas and as it mutated and had the ability to be spread from person to person airborne and 
there was a, um, a video that was being shown and it showed what airborne particles look like as this mother just kind of coughed a little bit and you could see these airborne particles and it affected this child that was in the room. And my students, they're teenagers, you know, they're 15 years old and they, they giggled a little bit because of the way that it was shown. And it was, it was a, um, it was interesting and I paused it at that moment and they were giggling and I said, you know, I find it, um, a little, a little amusing that you're giggling at this and yet we're all standing here and sitting here in masks. So just think about that for a moment. And, you know, they, they giggled, they giggled a little bit more, but then they were just kind of hit with this stark reality of here we are living amidst a pandemic and learning about pandemics at the same time. And, you know, obviously this isn't the first pandemic in human history, nor will it be the last but what are the lessons that we can learn from this? And that's how important it is to be teaching this in schools and to be, you know, living this experience and to be making the right choices as people. So there's a question that came across the board and I want to answer this question. Do kids stay more tuned in now than zoning out because of the relatability um, and I'm assuming that this is the relatability of the subject that I'm teaching. I would say, you know, with teaching medical term, you know, the history of medicine and plagues and pandemics. Yes. <laughs> you know, they're living amidst a pandemic and they're doing research on pandemics and they certainly have more questions of curiosity, which to me shows that they're more interested in it than just, oh, let me just get this project done and turn it in. So they're definitely asking more questions and they're leaning forward and really just kind of soaking it in. So, you know, this is, this is a point in history. This is a time in our lives where, uh, you know, we're writing history as we speak. And I think it's important because I am teaching these students who wish to work in the healthcare field in the future. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredibly important time for them to really reflect on the lessons that we can learn from this. So, so yes, definitely. Um, with that, the, you know, we, we move right into pathology and it's such, it's such an important topic. And I really wish, you know, that everyone had the opportunity to take courses like this. I know in, in many schools, they've actually done away with health and health education to make way for more science and math and, and English. But, you know, there are some school districts bringing health back into the curriculum because they're like, oh, we messed up, <laughs> which is kind of like, ah, yeah, hello. So uh, with that being said, you know, we have this amazing point in time right now where we have an opportunity to learn what is it that, you know, what is it that we can learn from living through this pandemic and how can we support each other? Now, unfortunately, and I'll say that again, unfortunately, science has become political in this, in this day and age. And whether or not a pandemic exists somehow comes into the conversation, which is just, I'm not even going to say anything about that, <laughs> but it's become political. And I, you know, I, I don't get political on this show. There's plenty of shows here on Radio 111 that, that will get political with you. Uh, my show, I bring in the science and I bring in the wellness and I bring in my perspective and I'll also share other perspectives and I'm welcome to hearing from your perspective as well. 
uh, and I'm coming from as, as far as much as I can be an unbiased approach really just looking at it from a science perspective an evolutionary perspective a human perspective and so with that being said I'm going to be sharing with you how I feel about you know this year this these two years of, of living through a pandemic and the choices that I've made for myself and the choices that I've my family has made as well if you do have questions and comments and and you want to pitch in and you want to you, know, you want me to hear what you have to say about this you can send me a message you can email me right here at the station jason at radio111.com that's a direct line to me so you can send in your questions and i'm happy to bring them up on the show and address them happy to do so you can also follow me on tatetalks.radio on Instagram, and you'll see pictures of the guests and everything from that, you know, as far as what's happening with the show. Coming up, my feature with a thought to digest, and I'll be also talking about the vaccine for COVID, my thoughts about it, and still in this hour, a celebration of, actually, a celebrated friend and functional medicine physician uh, will be my guest. And I'm so excited to bring all of this to you right here at Radio 111. advice for your personal wellness. Radio 111 presents Tate Talks with functional medicine instructor Jason Tate. Here's Jason. Here's Jason. (laughs) I love that. Thank you for staying with me here on the show. Radio 111. This is Jason Tate with Tate Talks. I have an amazing hour for you right now. I'm actually going to be talking about uh, something that shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Uh, It is the subject of vaccines right now. So what I'd like to just kind of start with first, before I get into vaccines, I want to share with you my my thought to digest. All right. So I've got two quotes here from Mahatma Gandhi. One of them is very familiar. You've heard this many times. Be the change you wish to see in the world. I'm just going to kind of just let you soak that in for a minute. Be the change you wish to see in the world. This is something that if you started your day saying this in the mirror or just thinking it, be the change you wish to see in the world. It's a good way to start the day. So I'm going to start this segment with that. I have another one. This one's a little bit longer, probably not one you could necessarily memorize unless you're really good at something like that. This one also by Mahatma Gandhi. Whenever you are in doubt or when the self becomes too much with you, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest man whom you may have seen and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to him. Will he gain anything by it? Will it restore him to a control over his own life and destiny? In other words, 
Will it lead to Swadraj, which is self-governance, for the hungry and spiritually starving millions? That's by Mahatma Gandhi. And the reason I chose to share that with you is because we have, as human beings, as a human race, we have a social contract with each other. Um, and while that social contract is broken sometimes, it doesn't mean it's not there. And the social contract is that we care for each other, that we care for one another. And in a, in a time of need, if you're ever stranded with strangers in a life and death situation, it doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. We all just kind of band together because we are of the same species, we're of the same race. And that's an interesting point to think about. And at that time, at that moment in time, if that ever does occur, it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter the color of their skin or their sexual preference or gender identity. None of that matters. What matters is that you survive. And I think we forget this. We definitely forget this in our daily lives, but I think we forget this in a time of need. And if there was ever a time of need in the world as there is right now amidst this COVID pandemic, here we are right in the middle of it. And so what is it that you and I can do to preserve the lives of others, of our family, of our friends, of people that we interact with? And so this is something that I just kind of want to, you know, allow this thought to come into your mind as you contemplate this. And, and I, and I contemplated this, you know, I, I haven't always been, you know, pro-vaccine in the sense of take every possible vaccine out there. That's not my stance. But when it came to this vaccine, when it came to COVID, I made a decision. And the decision I made wasn't for me because we don't live alone. I, I'm, I'm not a sole entity. I'm a member of a population. I'm a member of my family. I'm a member of the students that I serve and the community that I live in. And so I represent not only myself, but I represent everyone that I'm in contact with. Speaking of that, I know at some point in my life, I'll definitely come into contact with COVID-19. So it was a question of, do I want to take a chance with that? Or do I want to take a chance with this vaccine? And I chose to trust my fellow people in the medical profession and I I elected to get the vaccine and I did so back in March and I'm grateful for that decision I'm glad I made that decision but again like I said I didn't make the decision for myself so if you're on one side or the other I just I just want you to contemplate think about it and think about the fact that you're not alone I know that if I, for some reason, chose not to, and I took a chance with COVID-19, I'm pretty confident in my health and my ability that I would, that it wouldn't take my life, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I felt more confident that the vaccine wouldn't take my life, that I would have less side effects from the vaccine from, than from COVID itself. So on a personal level, I made that decision. On a social level, I made the decision as well because I'm in contact not only with my own family, but I'm in contact with children 
of other families. And I felt a moral obligation to make that choice, to make the decision on behalf of the hundreds, if not thousands of others that I'm in indirect contact with on a regular basis. So I want you to think about that as you're contemplating the choice whether or not to be vaccinated yourselves. Still to come, my guest, award-winning and celebrated family medicine physician, loved, respected, and admired by many. Also, someone you know is going to be doing a TED Talk, and I'll be sharing that information with you soon. Stay right there on Radio 111. This is Tate Talks. for all of you, your body, mind, and spirit. Radio 111 and Jason Tate team up to help you with Tate Talks. Here's Jason. This is Jason, and you're listening to Tate Talks on Radio 111. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying with me on the show here. You can send me questions that you might have or comments, jason at radio111.com. That's the email address here for the show. And you can also follow me at tatetalks.radio on Instagram. That's tatetalks.radio. I have pictures of the guests and information about upcoming shows. You can stay tuned right there on tatetalks.radio. So I'm going to be speaking about the topic of functional medicine. It might not be uh, something that's a household name for some of you, but it's something that is a part of my life. And believe it or not, it's a part of everyone's lives. It's a part of yours, whether or not your doctor is a functional medicine doctor, practitioner or not, there are elements of functional medicine. So I'm going to talk about the, the subject of functional medicine right now to just kind of bring awareness and talk about what it means and the ideology of it. So a functional medicine doctor isn't a doctor that is a different kind of doctor. You know, they, they didn't go to a different type of medical school. These are medical doctors, MDs, MPHs, you know, masters in public health. These are doctors that have classical training that get additional training. So they use what's called the functional medicine toolkit. And I like to think of it like that. So something that you definitely want is to have your doctor with not just the standard or traditional or classic training, but as new information becomes available, they are learning this new information and they're being able to apply it to practice. And the functional medicine approach, I'll just simply say it's a root cause approach. We want to establish the root cause of what is going, oh, what's going wrong and try and address that root cause. Speaking of functional medicine, my guest on the show today. He's a leader in transforming office practice and has special interests in nutrition and wellness. He's the author of two books, 40 Years in Family Medicine and Lean and Fit, A Doctor's Journey to Healthy Nutrition and Greater Wellness. He has authored more than 500 medical publications, med medical publications and he's given over 1,000 invited presentations. He enjoys an active family life with his wife, Carol, and two sons, Adrian and Gabriel. And he's completed over 40 marathons, 10 50Ks, 
and five 50-mile ultramarathon trail runs. He's the primary care family medicine physician at 365 uh, 365 physician in La Quinta, California at Eisenhower, the Argeros Center, and chair of the academic affairs at Eisenhower Medical Center in Rancho Mirage, my dear friend, Dr. Joe Sugar. Well, thank you, Jason, for that uh, generous introduction. <laughs> and I loved listening to your, your preface about what functional medicine is about. Well, thank you. Uh, un- yeah. Unfortunately, medicine in America seems to be about what pill to give. Right. It's, uh, we, we sort of celebrate our drugs and our procedures. And, of course, there's an economic basis for all of that. But, um, you know, we're supposed to be healers. And it's funny, after starting medical school and looking at medical school today, the word healing almost never comes up. It's all about treating. It's all about treating disease. And we, we kind of give lip service to the fact that most disease, probably 80% of chronic illness, uh, which dominates medicine, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, high cholesterol, and on and on, um, is actually, we call them Western diseases. But, you know, why, you know, it isn't because of the geography that these diseases happen. It's because of the, the lifestyle, the nutrition and the lifestyle. And in functional medicine, we've learned that if you address that specifically, you can truly reverse these diseases because the body wants to be healthy. The body will uh, regain its health if we create the right environment. Yes, and to that point, one of my one of the favorite things that I've heard is right in line with that the body wants to be healthy so the question we must first ask is and this was by dr andrew weil uh, in uh, southern arizona and tucson area he said how can i get out of the way (laughs) of my own body trying to heal itself what am i doing to block the body's natural ability to heal and that's another kind of a functional medicine approach I agree. You know, this isn't new. Voltaire once said the role of medicine is to amuse the patient while nature seeks a cure. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and at the turn of the 20th century, Osler said if all the medicines were thrown into the ocean, it would be worse for the fishes and better for the human race. And uh, so this, this whole issue about doctors using drugs. Now, of course, our medicines today are better than they were at the turn of the 20th century. But every drug causes its own disease. Those were words given to me by a medical school professor 50 years ago, believe it or not. I went to medical school 50 years ago. And, (laughs) and, And while, you know, I can't, you know, sort of prove that with everyone, the truth of the matter is, is every drug Uh, affects your brain chemistry it affects your body's chemistry Mm -hmm. in some way and the liver Uh, and um, yeah and the liver and all of those things Um, I write a health tip for our HOA we have have a newsletter at Desert Island where I live and I write a health tip every issue that's very brief and the health tip that I'm going to publish for the next issue is going to be titled fever helps your body fight an infection Mm-hmm. And when we think about it, we think treating the symptoms of, a, of an infection or a disease is somehow what we're supposed to do. But those symptoms help protect us. You know, cough keeps our lungs clear and 
helps uh, bronchitis not become a pneumonia. A good sneeze keeps the nasal passages clear so a cold does not become a sinus infection. And indeed, uh, a fever mobilizes our immune cells to fight off an infection. And, and right now, child care doctors, family doctors, and pediatricians who have this evidence are working very hard to get parents to stop chasing a fever. I mean, parents yeah. are giving alternate ibuprofen and Tylenol every two hours, maximum doses, just because the temperature uh, is above 100 or 101. You know, fever can be damaging if it's 106 for a sustained period of time. We know that from tropical infections like dengue fever, not something we see here in America. But, you know, any fever less than 104 is, uh, is not worth getting upset about or feeling like we need to aggressively treat it. Our body's doing this for a reason. Exactly. That's great information. So as a primary care physician at Eisenhower in the Coachella Valley, how do you and your colleagues use the tools and methodologies of the functional medicine approach with your patients, either knowingly using them, like I know you do with your patients, or just kind of using them because they make so much sense? Well, it's, again, it's all part of our counseling. As a, as a primary care physician, about 25% of what I do is purely preventive medicine. Now, sometimes that's just doing screening tests like mammography or colonoscopy, but a lot of preventive medicine has been called health promotion. What do we say to patients to help them be healthier? And doctors have been giving diet advice uh, for, for decades, but you know the, the right diet advice is way better than it used to be. As a matter of fact, it, for 40 years it was wrong. We were telling patients not to eat healthy saturated fat yeah. and uh, and we're not instead of telling them not to eat sugar and carbohydrates and you know the food industry had a lot to do with that and oh, yeah. sort of coloring the data but uh, but it's slowly getting through now that sugar and carbs are the main problem with overweight and obesity and and insulin resistance is now extremely common probably 80 percent of americans have excess carbohydrates in their diet and um and uh, it's beginning to sink in but i will say that um, you know mainstream medicine and the funding you know it's sad because people don't realize that tens of millions of dollars a year by the food industry and the drug industry is given to the american heart association and the american diabetes association you know, I used to think those organizations were pure and they had the interest of the public at heart. Uh, but unfortunately, I can't even use my diabetic educators because they prescribe a 65 percent carbohydrate diet to people oh with goodness. diabetes, uh, which is really insane. It's like prescribing alcohol to alcoholics. But <laughs> unfortunately, that's what their curriculum says and we do have here in the valley some good nutrition educators that i can use that help me reinforce the importance of low carbohydrate diets well i'm certainly one of them and i certainly uh prescribe not prescribe but i teach a low carbohydrate diet to my students and future healthcare workforce uh and and i love that you mentioned that the tide is turning 
Of course, for you and I and those of us who are in the know, the tide isn't turning fast enough, but at least it's turning, right? And, you know, away from well, that's exactly avoid right. the facts. You got to be very patient. Yeah. You know, yeah. healthcare, you know, things that happen in the rest of the world, the service industries, adoption of technology sometimes happens almost overnight. Uh, certainly within two years, things get very different yeah. in what we do with technology. But in healthcare, it's more like a 20-year cycle, so you got to be very patient. <laughs> well, in addition to the great work and service that you provide the patients of Eisenhower, you somehow make time to further serve humanity with Restore Health Disease Reversal, uh, which is found, by the way, at restorehealth.me.me. Can you, in just one minute, just tell me, sum up what Restore Health means to you and where Restore Health is and what it is? Sure. Thank you. I've turned 70 and I decided, you know, as I turn 70, I'm going to start to put my energy in what I love to do the most, which is teaching patients. I love my 365 practice. My patients have been with me, most of them, for uh, the 10, 12 years that I've been here in the Valley. But I've had to close that to new patients for a long time because the model requires us to spend a lot of time with patients and have a limited panel. And, and in the talks I give in the Valley, all, lots of people wanted my help in uh, becoming healthier. So I opened Restore Health, not as a medical practice, but a deep dive consultation into healthy nutrition and lifestyle uh, for people to lose weight, uh, uh, reverse their chronic disease, get off some of their medicines. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. All visits are an hour long. Uh, I do a lot of remote cares. Uh, half of my patients actually don't even live in the valley because of my national connections and reputation. And it's a it's a one day a week uh, time where on Tuesdays I can spend time in this consulting with people, helping them to be healthier. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. That's great. That's great. And yes, you just turned 70. Happy birthday again, my friend. <laughs> You are I'm 71 already. You're just, you're that's right. Not. You're 71 it's already. Fly, it, it, <laughs> it flies by. But anyway, I, I feel 50. So that's that great. Depth, you know, so, and, yeah. and you're healthy Thanks. and you look great and you're and you're amazing. The, the work that you do with your patients, they're all so incredibly fortunate to have you in their lives. And I'm fortunate to call you a friend. Well, the feeling is mutual, my friend, and what you're doing at Indio High School with a lot of those children, you not only save the lives and health of those children, you're saving the lives and health of the families because the children are making a big impact uh, on their parents, and uh, you're doing a terrific, you. terrific work. It should be done at every school in America. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for saying that. I really mean that. Coming up next, I have Empty Your Cup. I'll share with you the breath work that landed me a TED Talk and leave you with an inspiration and thoughts. Stay right here on TED Talks. Tate Talks continues now on Radio 111 with Jason Tate. This is Jason Tate, and I'm here sharing with you my Empty Your Cup. I'm going to start right off the bat here with a quote by Henry David Thoreau. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. 
let that sink in for a minute. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. I'm going to share with you another quote, and I actually don't know the author of this one. This one my wife shared with me from a book that she was reading, and I apply it when I talk about mindfulness. Be where your feet are. And as I transition right now the show into a mindfulness piece with Empty Your Cup, I want to share with you some exciting news. Tate Talks and what I teach in school and what I teach my students You know, I mentioned on a social media post recently that I've been sharing TED Talks in my classroom for well over a decade, and I finally get to get, bring my classroom into a TED Talk, and I'm just so excited and so honored to bring what I do, part of what I do, to the TED community and to the world. So uh, my talk is actually about the breath work. The breathwork that you get to experience here on Tate Talks and have been experiencing for quite some time. So now it's going to be on TED and I can't wait to share that with you. More on that coming up soon. But right now, let us get comfortable in a nice seated position, lying down if you can. And I want you to close your eyes, rest your palms on your legs or rest them down by your side, rest your arms and close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. And I'm going to take you through the breath work, the 416 technique that I'm sharing on TED this year. Inhaling for four seconds through your nose, holding your breath for one second, and exhaling for six seconds. This is the time in the show where you get to take off the backpack of burden that you carry around with you all the time and take a break. Be where your feet are and just be. Let me be your guide. All right. Eyes are closed. Breathing in through your nose for one, two, three, four. Hold, exhaling through your mouth, one, two, three, four, five, six. In through your nose, one, two, three, four, hold, exhaling for one, two, three, four, five, six. In for one, two, three, four, hold. Exhaling, one, two, three, four, five, six. And in for one, two, three, four, hold. Exhaling for one, two, three, four, five, six. Continue breathing in through your nose, holding that breath for just a moment, and then exhaling through your mouth. Thoughts may come, let them come, and let them go. Take this time right now to just focus on your breath. Focus on inhaling through your nose, holding that breath for just a moment, and then exhaling through your mouth, allowing yourself to find a nice, calm, peaceful, mindful place in your day. This technique can be used anywhere, anytime, by anyone. It's just breathing. The most important thing we do for our bodies every moment of every day. Now take a nice big deep breath in through your nose, filling up your lungs all the way, all the way, all the way. Long, slow exhale. 
And as you're exhaling, gently letting your eyelids rise, coming back into awareness, realizing that even in just a couple of minutes, you can find a level of peace and serenity inside your body just through this breath work. You can do it anywhere, share it with everyone you know, and we can all be a little less stressed. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. It is truly an honor and a pleasure. Tune in next week here at Tate Talks, where I'll be discussing or where the discussion of wellness continues. I'll have my friend, Dr. Amy Chin, an Eisenhower Family Medicine graduate. She's now practicing in Tennessee. So I'm looking forward to sharing uh, what she's doing and what she's been doing for the last year with her medical practice. It's been an amazing show. Thank you so much. Tate Talks is here at Radio 111 every Sunday and on all major podcasts to provide current, up-to-date information with regard to health and wellness, to inform and inspire you, to make the rest of your life the best of your life. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week.